I recently helped hundreds of people achieve more in a few months than they had the previous several years. And now I'm getting ready to open up another challenge where I want to help you do the same. Here is actually a short testimonial of someone who was in that challenge. This challenge was hands down the best thing I did all year. And I appreciate the time, energy, and heart that you put into it. My name is Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I'm an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of many books that have now sold millions of copies. Click the link down below and watch this free training where I will show you these frameworks on how you can achieve more in the next 90 days than you possibly have in the last five to 10 years. Click the link down below and watch the training before it goes away. This book is absolutely amazing and just might change your life. I first came across this book about six or seven years ago. I've read it many times. And every time I read it, I'm shocked by how good it is. I'm shocked by the insight, the clarity, the excitement it gives me. It helps me look at my current life differently. It helps me look at what I'm doing very differently. And in this video, I'm going to share with you my favorite 10 ideas from this book. However, a quick word of warning, this book is only for people who want to be extremely excellent at what they do. So if you're someone who wants to be mediocre at what you do, and in this book, one of the things he talks about is, is that most people, most organizations, most businesses are going for mediocre. If you're someone who wants to be mediocre, don't watch this video, don't read this book. This is for people who want to be excellent at what they do, maybe even bold enough to be the best in the world at what they do. The first idea in this book is, is that success and even money don't come by having talent or grit. They come by wanting success and money. Here's a direct quote from the book. Nearly all rich and powerful people are not notably talented, educated, charming, or good-looking. They become rich and powerful by wanting to be rich and powerful. This gets to one of the core points of life, and that's that largely we get in life what we want. We get what we're pursuing. We get what we're after. And so if you want to be successful, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be great at what you do, you have to want it. The second idea from this book is, is that most people in most businesses are going for mediocre. So you have to ask yourself the honest question. In a world that demands mediocrity, why would you go for excellence? Do you really want to be excellent when mediocre is the bar? Here's a direct quote from the book. There is little demand in the commercial world for excellence. There is much, much bigger demand for mediocrity. So you have to make the choice. Are you going to be mediocre like everyone else or are you going to choose excellence? If you choose for excellence, if you choose for quality, then you have pretty much infinite upside. Most people are in a race to the bottom. This is something that even Seth Godin talks about. He says, in a world where everyone is racing to the bottom, your choice is to race to the bottom with everyone else or race to the top. The way you race to the top is to be the best in the world at what you do. The third idea from this book is that you can achieve the unachievable if you go for it. Most people don't go for the unachievable. Most people go for average. They go for mediocre. But if you go for the impossible, you actually probably can achieve it. And in a minute, I'll explain to you some of the science on achieving impossible goals. But first, let me share a quote from the book. Firstly, you need to aim beyond what you're capable of. You must develop a complete disregard for where your abilities end. Try to do the things that you're incapable of. If you think you're unable to work for the best company in its sphere, make that your aim. If you think you're incapable of running a company, make that your aim. If you think you're unable to be on the cover of Time Magazine, make it your business to be there. Make your vision of where you want to be a reality. Nothing is impossible. There's a growing body of research on the topic of impossible goals, and as people, largely we are what we're going for. There's a concept in psychology called the default future. As people, we all have a default future. That's not the future we want, it's the future that we most expect. And so what you want to do is you want to go for a seemingly impossible future because whatever you focus on expands. Whatever you focus on, you develop mastery in. One of my favorite quotes comes from Dan Sullivan. He says, your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is looking for. Most people don't even pursue impossible goals because they think it's impossible. So instead, they lower their standards and they go for average. They go for mediocre. But if you make impossible your goal, as Paul Arden is inviting us to do, your brain will start focusing on that. Again, in psychology, that's called selective attention. One really beautiful aspect of going for impossible goals 
And people like Elon Musk talk about this. They say, if you go for something that's impossible, you can't have conventional wisdom. But also, if you're going for something that is impossible, or at least that you think is impossible, you also can't use your own conventional wisdom. When you go for something that's impossible, you don't know how to do it, which means you're no longer operating from your past assumptions. Also, impossible goals are so big that most things you're doing right now won't get you there. So impossible goals turn out to be a really good filter from the signal and the noise. If you're going for goals that are reasonable, firstly, there's a lot more competition because most people are going for realistic or mediocre goals, but also it's hard to determine what aspects of your life or business right now are actually working. It's hard to determine the signal from the noise or the 80% of things that don't matter from the 20% of things that do. This is something that Dan Sullivan and I talk heavily about in this book, 10X is easier than 2X. One of the reasons is, is that if you're going for 2x or linear growth, then what you're doing is you're using your present to create the future rather than letting your future and a seemingly impossible future to filter and determine the present. Bigger goals are really useful because they simplify things. Most things won't get you to an impossible goal. And so they force you to ask the question, which Dr. Alan Bernard asks. He's a researcher on the topic of constraint theory. He has you ask the question, this would be impossible unless what? It forces you to ask, what are the few things that would actually get me there? Those are the 20% of things that make 80% of the difference. And they also help you to weed out most of the things you're doing because most of the things you're doing right now won't get you to an impossible goal. The key point here that Arden is making is, is that largely you get what you're going for. And so why not go for the impossible? Firstly, most people aren't going for it. But also, if you go for it, you just might hit it. If you make that your aim, if you make that your standard, then you will largely figure out how to do it. And most people aren't going for that. And so this is how you can become excellent. This is how you can go from good to great. The fourth idea in this book is that you should seek criticism rather than seeking praise. Here's what Arden says. When it comes to a recent piece of your work, it's probably okay. But then again, it's probably not great either. If instead of seeking approval, you ask, what's wrong with it? How can I make it better? You are more likely to get a truthful, critical answer. This gets straight to what psychologists call deliberate practice. In order to deliberately practice, you have to actually become aware of your weaknesses. Rather than shielding yourself and ignoring your weaknesses, you want to put a strobe light on those and ultimately make those better. This is how the best get better and better at what they do. All progress starts by telling the truth. And in sports, for example, a big aspect of deliberate practice is watching your own film, like watching what you're doing and being honest about where it could be better and getting feedback from experts. Another super important point he makes here, though, is just because you get criticism doesn't mean you have to actually believe it or take it. You're ultimately the final say, but you should be open to that. That's part of having a growth mindset. People with a fixed mindset, they are closed-minded. They don't want to have any form of criticism. They don't want any form of failure. Whereas if you're really open and honest and if you expose yourself, then you can get massively good really quickly. My fifth favorite idea from this book is that he says, everything is your fault. It's all your fault. Here's exactly what he says. If you are involved in something that goes wrong, never blame others. Blame no one but yourself. If you have touched something, accept total responsibility for that piece of work. If you accept responsibility, you are in a position to do something about it. This is honestly just a great mindset because it creates an internal locus of control rather than what psychologists would call an external locus of control. If you take responsibility and ownership for everything in your life, then you can move things forward because you're the one taking responsibility. You're not blaming other people for your life. You're just saying, this is on me, and then you can change things. This is a large difference between people who are mature and people who are immature. People who are mature take responsibility for their lives. They take responsibility for their outcomes. They take responsibility for their circumstances. They take responsibility for every aspect of their life and they put it on themselves. They don't put anything on other people. They put it on themselves and they ultimately use that to move forward. The sixth idea that I love from this book, and this one honestly might be my favorite and it's most directly impacted me in my life, is to not covet your own ideas. Here's what Arden says. If you give away everything you have, you are left with nothing. This forces you to look to be aware, to replenish. Somehow, the more you give away, the more comes back to you. Ideas are open knowledge. Don't claim ownership. They're not your ideas anyway. They're someone else's. They're out there floating by on the ether. 
You just have to put yourself in a frame of mind to pick them up. I have been involved in situations where people really did hoard their ideas and so much so that like massive legal battles and stuff happened. And when you're hoarding things, you put yourself in a scarcity mindset. As someone who has created ideas for a living, I have learned that the more I give, whether it's on a book I'm writing, just give everything, give it all away. Once you give everything away, once you fully just unleash it all, let it all out, then you'll be empty. And that's a beautiful place to be. You want to end with empty. And then once you're at empty, then you'll start looking for the next ideas and you'll start getting more and more ideas. Whereas if you're hoarding your ideas, then you're living off of your old ideas and it's, it's very much like clogging the system. The seventh idea I love from this book, and this is one that hits me every time because it makes me look at my life in the situation I'm in right now differently, is he says, don't look for the next opportunity. Focus on the one you have in your hand right now. Here's a quote from that section. We are always waiting for the perfect project from the perfect client. It almost never happens. You're probably working on a job or project right now and saying, this is boring. Let's just deal with it and get it over with. We'll make the next one good. Whatever is on your desk right now, that's the one. Make it the best you possibly can. This again is the difference between people who are really successful and people who aren't. People who are not successful are waiting for the right opportunity, whereas people who are successful take what's on their lap right now and they use it to become the springboard for their next big jump. And so whatever you're focused on right now, whether it's a job you have, whether it's a project, make this one your big opportunity. Don't wait for the big opportunity. Make this one right now your opportunity. Whatever you're working on right now, this is the big opportunity. And you can turn what you're working on right now into the rocket ship of your huge future. So it's right now. It's about taking your work right now, whatever you're focused on, and making it the best you absolutely can. Right now, not later. The eighth idea I love from this book, which gives me huge permission, is that the person who doesn't make mistakes probably isn't making anything at all. When you have a growth mindset, you're not afraid of making mistakes. You also don't overly define yourself by who you are right now. One of my favorite ideas from psychology comes from Dr. Daniel Gilbert. He says, the person you are right now is as fleeting as the present moment. Your future self is going to be a different person. You're also not the same person as your past self. So if you are going to move forward and if you're going to create things, if you're going to make things, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's a great place to be. That's a growth mindset. One of my favorite quotes comes from Brene Brown. She said, rather than trying to be right, it's much better to try to get it right. And if you try to get it right, then you're always in a state of learning. You're always open, willing to get feedback, and you're just making things better and better rather than trying to prove yourself. Here's what Paul Arden says about failing and making mistakes. It's wrong to be right. Being right is based on knowledge and experience and is often provable. Knowledge comes from the past, so it's safe. It's also out of date. It's the opposite of originality. This is lazy. Experience is the opposite of being creative. If you can prove you're right, then you're set in concrete. You cannot move with the times or with other people. Being right is also being boring. Your mind is closed. You are not open to new ideas. You are rooted in your own rightness, which is arrogant. He then says this, it's right to be wrong. Start being wrong and suddenly anything is possible. You're no longer trying to be infallible. You're in the unknown. There's no way of knowing what can happen, but there's more of a chance it's going to be amazing than if you're trying to be right. So this is just an amazing idea that rather than trying to be right all the time, you actually try to be wrong. You actually try to figure out the ways in which you have it wrong. That is an emotionally open mindset. That's open to new ideas. That's psychologically flexible. That gets you open to thinking beyond the next idea where you can just be in a really creative space where you can then ultimately get better and better at what you do rather than trying to cling to what you now have. The ninth idea I love from this book is that it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And more specifically, it's about the importance of developing relationships and positioning yourself in a certain way so that your work can get out there. Here's what Paul Arden says. You all know the old maxim, but do you ever actually think about it? Consider, I'm a talented architect working for a prestigious company, Richard Rogers Partnership, for instance. The company knows my value, respects me, and pays me accordingly, but nobody outside the company knows me. I've buried myself in my work. 
You, however, are the first-year student at an architectural institute. You print a business card with the words, Anthony Taylor, architect, or even better, architects. You are in a bar chatting, you talk yourself up and present your credentials, i.e. your business card. You will be accepted as an authority or practitioner of architecture. I, on the other hand, with my lack of social skills and reluctance to push myself forward, will be unnoticed, a nobody. Unfair as it may seem, this is the reality of life. If you know what your tickets are, you can play your cards right. This comes down to ultimately how you're positioned and about positioning yourself so that you get the best opportunities. And it's often not the person who's the best at what they do, but the person who's best positioned. So for example, I write a book on this topic and now I'm positioned differently and I get all sorts of opportunities, even though I might not be the best at this topic than other people, I'm positioned better. And so this is just about playing your cards right and about being positioned in such a way so that people know who you are rather than just what you know. The 10th and final idea I will share with you from this book, which is very powerful, which I absolutely love, is that you should not be afraid to work with the best. Here's what Paul Arden says. The best people can be difficult. They are single-minded. They have tunnel vision. That's what makes them good. They are reluctant to compromise. They can be intimidating, especially to the young, but if you approach them with an attitude that you want to do something well, they will respond positively because they want to do something well too. And if you are clear about what you want and strong about getting it, Though there may be arguments, they will respect you. This brings me to an idea I learned from Dan Sullivan. He calls it always be the buyer, which is the idea that there are buyers and sellers. And the buyers are people who have very clear standards. They know what they want. And most importantly, they are willing to walk away from a situation where they don't get what they want. Whereas someone who's a seller is constantly trying to sell themselves. They don't have clear standards. And honestly, they're willing to accept what they can get. And so if you want to be excellent at what you do, you want to work with the best. One of my favorite books I've read on this topic recently is called The 80-20 Individual, and it talks about how in situations where you see massive growth, it's because of very few people. Even Bill Gates talked about how in his company of 120,000 people at Microsoft, if you took away the top 20 people, literally 20 out of 120,000, the company would become irrelevant. And so if you want to make massive leaps, if you want to be very successful, first off, you've got to want to be the best as well, but you also have to work with the best and be willing to work with people who have a single mind. A lot of people, they're pretty good at what they do, but they're all over the place. They're distracted and they don't want to work with the best because they want to be the alpha. If you don't need to be the alpha, if you can actually be a collaborator rather than needing to be the top dog or the top girl, then honestly, anything becomes possible. And this is something that I've learned and it's created massive opportunity in my life is that, yes, I want to be the best at what I do, but I also want to work with the best. I want to work with people who have really high standards, who are really focused and who are really clear on what they do so that we can come together and create exponential opportunities together. People who are afraid to work with the best have huge ego and they don't know where to make the best investments. And so they're probably on their way down. All right, I'm Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Please like, please subscribe. These are 10 ideas from this book. It's not how good you are. It's how good you want to be. And this whole concept, even the title really fits with all the research, which I've written about in this book called Be Your Future Self Now, which really comes down to the point that your present self isn't what matters. It's actually your future self. And if you have a really high bar, if you're going for impossible goals, and you use that as the filter for what you do, if that's what you're going for, then it doesn't matter how good you are right now. It's how good you want to be. And in a very short period of time, you can become world-class at what you do. Please like, please subscribe. I hope you enjoyed. Have an amazing day.